Amen. Just before, just before I have you re- return to your seats, just before I have you return to your seats, I said this last week, and I just, I just feel like I need to say it again. So if you were on your cell phone or talking to your neighbor, stop. Stop. You didn't come here to, get, to, to sit on your cell phone. You can do that out in your car. <laughs> you, you, you can do that at home. Okay? If you're going to pull out your cell phone, let it be because you're just you're fact-checking what I'm saying from the Word of God. Amen? Otherwise, beyond that, do not treat God with an irreverence when you come into this place. Don't do that. Don't do that. I, I don't walk into your home and just act any way I want and do whatever I want. No, I don't do that. I have reverence because it's your house. We believe this is the house of God. And if you have any fear of the Lord, I I mean genuine reverence and respect for God, then let's treat God like, hey, you are the almighty, all-powerful, yet all-gracious and all-loving God. And let's, let's, if we're going to be irreverent towards anyone, let's be irreverent towards Satan today. Come on, somebody. Can we, can we just let that chump know, okay, who, where he really is? He's nothing more than that, that poop under my foot that I kind of stepped in. All right. Whoops. That's all you are, devil. That's all you are. Amen. Right, right, right where you are, right where you are. If you, if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, you don't have to go very far. You can look on the screen. Matthew 4. Matthew 4. We're in this, in this series called the... Uh, uh, this idea of the authority to trample, the authority Jesus has given us to trample on all the power of the enemy. And I want you to, I w- I want you to see, really, this is where it all begins. This authority that we have started with Christ. Right here in Matthew 4, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The wilderness is always a place of transition. Yeah. It's a season of transition. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? Because right before this, Jesus was baptized. And when he came up out of the water, the Bible tells that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And then a voice from heaven made it very clear, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Woo! Whoa, look at that. Jesus being highlighted as the Son of God. And then immediately after that, he's led by the Spirit into a season of transition to be tempted by the devil. Here's what I want you to see from this simple verse right here. It reveals the key in how you are going to overcome all of Satan's temptations. Be led by the Spirit. Can I say it again? Some of you have been beat down with temptation nonstop, and Jesus gives you the key how to overcome a season of temptation. Continue to be led by the Spirit. In fact, Paul said it like this in Galatians 5. He said, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't keep on doing what your sinful nature desires. Somebody in this place today, let's let the devil know, I don't care how you're going to try to tempt me or how you're going to try to scare me or what you think you're going to do in my life. Devil, I'm being led by the Spirit of God. Tiana, give me that first video and I'll let you sit down. I love this. But every time the Satan, Satan tries to come and scare you, you got to smack with the power of God. Come on, somebody. You just got to let him know. God. Just somebody just raise your hand today and just say, Devil, I'm not scared of you. I'm not scared of you. You go back to your seats. You go back to your seats. Thank you, worship team. I've been telling you this for for years now, but specifically I've been repeating this simple phrase for the last three weeks. Told you this, that spiritual warfare is all around us, and it's always happening. Whether we are aware of it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, spiritual warfare is always happening around us. it's, It's the invisible realm, if you will. That realm that, that can always touch us, but we're not always aware of. Do you understand there are certain things in your life that, that you can't see and that you can't touch, but they can touch you? I, I, I can't touch COVID. It touched me twice. Come on, somebody. All right. It, 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 I couldn't see it. I couldn't touch it, but it was there. And it got a hold of my life twice. Y'all remember I had to cancel two different church services. Hello, right? This, this is the, the understanding of, of what it really means 
to read the Word of God and believe what the Word of God says because many times it seems like that rum is, is completely oblivious to me because I'm unaware of what is happening in the invisible realm. And I just want to tell you, if, if you're going to be like, like the near majority of Americans who no longer believe in Satan, what you ultimately are saying to God is that this word is a lie. Because from beginning to end, from right there in Genesis 3 to the book of Revelations, we see him show up constantly. We can't always see him. We, we don't always know that he's there. But the invisible is touching the visible constantly. And I just want you to know, the reason Jesus showed up was to deal with what you could not handle. He, he showed up to destroy the invisible works of the devil that become visible in your life. But Jesus didn't just do that. He left you something. It's called power. It's called authority. And he wants you to know, even if you can't see it, he's given you the authority to buy on earth and it will be bound in heaven to loose on earth and it will be loosed in heaven i can affect the invisible realm not by my authority but the authority i've been given to trample over all the power of the enemy so spiritual warfare it's happening around us all the time all around us and here's what here's, here's, what, here's what i usually hear rev i usually hear christians say the wrong things about the devil, right? Like, your car isn't starting. Oh, it was the devil. No, no, no. It's on empty. I, I, hear, I, hear, I hear people say, people say stuff like, um, um, uh, who, are, who are dieting, right? They're, they're on a diet, and, and then they cheat on their diet, and they have three donuts, and they say, it was the devil. No, baby, it was delicious. <laughs> Come on. Uh, what, what a... I hear some of you griping about your, your, your fantasy teams and, and how, how everyone's getting injured and, 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 and you're having problems and it, it's the devil. No, baby, you just made some bad choices at your draft picks. Come on. Uh, it's, it's the devil. We, we want to we blame the devil for these kind of crazy things like, like your mother-in-law is coming to visit. That's definitely the devil. No, no, no. Don't you know what that is? That is God answering your prayer for more patience in your life. You prayed and God answered. Hello. I hear some mother-in-laws in the room like, is he talking about me? Help me real back. Let's, help me. Let's go back to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. Now you can look at your cell phone if you need to. Amen. Matthew 4. For 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights. The longest fast I've ever, ever done was a, was a 21-day Daniel's fast. Okay. I fasted three days at a time, no, no food, just water only, but 40 days and nights, Jesus fasts. So clearly the Bible's right when it says he became very hungry. During that time, the time of his weakness, the time of his loneliness, the time when he is, 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 had nothing to sustain him of substance, Physically, the enemy shows up. The devil comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Whew, I'm about to help somebody's diet today. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay? So then the devil takes him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the, te of the temple. And Satan says, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. I just want to stop right there. Okay? Would you just gently nudge your neighbor and, and tell them my subject today? Just gently nudge, nudge them and you, use, use modern slang and tell them, no cap, the devil is a liar. Can I get an amen from somebody who, who can say, that's no, there's no cap in that statement. The devil is a liar. If you have no, I'm not talking about no caps locks on your, on your laptop. Uh, no, no cap is a modern thing for no lies. All truth. And here's the whole truth. The devil is a liar. Now, now, in saying that, in saying that, the, the, when I said the devil is a liar, 
it's more than just a good preach point. And you can throw it, I, I love when Bishop Jakes, he'll just be talking about something that the devil is a lie. Not even a liar, just the devil's a lie. As soon as he said it, the crowd just goes crazy. Yeah. It, it, but it's more than just religious rhetoric. It, it's more than just a, a cute statement. It, it, to say that the devil is a liar is actually a theological statement that describes to us really the dominant attribute of Satan. We, Satan is not really good at lying. Satan is a liar. Here's how, here's how Jesus told us in John 8. He said, there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Can I just take a moment and preach to those of you who have been hearing hollers or whispers of the enemy speaking and talking to you. And I just want to remind you, anytime Satan starts talking to you, he's already lying to you. So the fact that Satan is a liar. I gotta be careful I say this. The fact that Satan is a liar doesn't give you a reason to throw a pity party. In fact, I wanna say it like this the whole reason that Satan is a liar is so that I can learn to throw a praise party. Wait, what? Wait, wait. The dude's been lying to me. I wanna feel bad for myself. I want to throw a pity party. No, no, do, do, I, I need you to understand something. That whenever the devil starts talking to you, he's already lying to you. And if, if he's telling you something, it's a lie. And that means that God is going to do the exact opposite, opposite of what he's been telling you. So the next time Satan tells you you'll never come back from this, just throw up your hands and throw a praise party. Because that simply means you're lying. And God's going to bring, he's going to do the opposite. The next time Satan tells you you're never coming out of this sin, you're never coming out of this shame, you're never coming out of this sorrow, throw up your hands and begin to dance and say, nah, devil, thanks for lying to me. Because that means God is going to do the exact opposite of what you said. The next time Satan tells you simply that you're not going to recover, you tell him that means God's going to do the exact opposite. And I'm going to recover all. Somebody just throw up your hands and say, oh, I'm going to recover all. In fact, can I just find just a, just a handful of people that just are agitated enough by the devil to flip the agitation back on him and say, I don't care how you've been lying to me, what you've been trying to get me to believe, devil. I'm going to throw up my hands, lift my voice, and praise my God anyway. Somebody let the devil know my praise is still a weapon I'm going to use to see the outcome God promised. Amen. All right. I got to calm down. I got a ways to go. Woo. I'm still waiting for Derek to tell me to take my time. Hello, somebody. Here's what I want you to see. The Apostle Paul reveals to us a truth about Satan. That he's really nothing more than illusionist. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I'm not going to harp on this now, but do you know how many world religions exist right now because an angel appeared and gave its leader some kind of revelation from God? Let me tell you how you know it's really God. He doesn't need an angel. He'll send his son to give you the truth. Now, I know that steps on, on some religions out there. Exactly. Because Satan is an illusionist. He will masquerade or disguise himself as an angel of light. So let's go back to the first time we see him in Genesis 3. We preached this last week. Satan shows up in the Garden of Eden. He starts talking to Eve. But how does he appear? Not as a devil. He appears as a snake. Yeah. But he's not a snake. He's a, he's a fallen angel, okay? So, so he shows up as a snake because you would be shocked to see a demon in the garden, but you won't be shocked to see a snake in a garden, okay? So the story of, of, of the serpent 
And Eve in the fall of man is not there to tell us that Satan is a snake. It's there to show us that Satan knows how to blend in and disguise himself. So that means the next time that Satan shows up in your life, he's going to show up looking like he belongs there. Come on, somebody. He doesn't show up looking like the devil. He shows up looking like a date. He don't show up looking like a demon. He shows up looking like an opportunity. He doesn't show up looking like the devil. He shows up looking like a chance to make a little more money. And if I have to miss church for a few Sundays, at least I'm, at least I'm making some more money. And, and, and he'll show up like an event. For some reason, it can't happen the other six days of the week. It has to happen on a Sunday morning. He will show up looking like these situations you've been desiring and looking for and hoping for. He doesn't show up like a demon because you'd be freaked out. He shows up looking like you can gain the whole world. You just do this. But are you forfeiting your own soul in the process? Here's what I said. I'm trying to let you know today. Satan uses lies. I said Satan uses lies. Lies are his weapons of mass destruction. Lies are what he uses to distract you. Lies are what he uses to dis discourage you and depress you. Lies are what he uses to ultimately destroy you. So let me give you three things here. Because if the thief comes to rob, to kill, to destroy, then Jesus came to do the exact opposite of what the thief came to do, to give you life, and life more abundantly. And listen to me, as a pastor, I do everything I can to cover you, but I will do everything I can to expose your enemy. Okay? Number one. Wow, it is warm in here. Hallelujah. Number one. Here's what I want to give you. Satan uses lies to label us. Uses lies to label us. Think about what the Bible says. The Bible actually says it this way in Proverbs. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart. Now, I get it. I'm using King James. You're like, what the heck is thinketh? As a man thinks in his heart, as he, as he perceives himself, what he thinks about himself, that's who he is, who she is. So in other words, you are always going to behave not consistent with who you are, you're going to behave consistent with how you see yourself. As a man or woman thinks in their heart, so is he, so is she. So that's why all throughout the Bible, here's what we see. We see from, from the old covenant into the new covenant. God is always trying to tell you who you really are. Because Satan will use lies to label you. So God has to tell you who you really are. And so he'll tell you something like this. You are loved with an everlasting love. He'll tell you something like this. You've been chosen. He'll tell you something like this. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He'll tell you something like this. You've been selected, elected, and protected. He'll tell you something like this. You are the head and not the tail. He'll tell you something like this. You are above and not beneath. He'll tell you something like this. You're not the borrower. You're the lender. He'll tell you something like this. You're not cursed. You're blessed. You're blessed in the city and you're blessed out in the country. You're blessed when you wake up and you're blessed when you go to bed at night. You are blessed when you enter and you are blessed when you go out. I came to tell somebody here today, God's always trying to tell you who you are because Satan's always trying to label you what you're not. And what I want to prophesy over your life today is you're not, you're not blessed just because you're in the city. You're not blessed just because you're in the field. You're not blessed just because you wake up or because you lie down at night. The blessing is not on the thing or the place. The blessing is on you because you are a child of the Most High God. So everywhere I go, everywhere I am, I am blessed. I need somebody to write that down somewhere. Everywhere I am, I am blessed because the blessing isn't on it. God put the blessing on me.
I'm blessed. Woo. Hallelujah. All right, I, I told you I was going to calm down and I'm not trying to lie. We'll leave that to Satan. Because the enemy knows who you are. Hear me? Sometimes the enemy believes in you more than you believe in you. So because he knows who you are, he's going to use lies to get you to believe something other than what God has already said about you. He'll use lies to get you to think something contrary to what God has declared about you. Here's why. And I tell this to my children all the time. Because you will behave according to what you believe. The reason I hope my children do right when I'm not present is because they are willing to behave according to what they believe. If I do this, this is wrong against God. Or, maybe they're not there yet, maybe if I do this and daddy finds out, y'all don't know me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bible believer. What? You believe, and how you believe is how you behave. Last week, I shared with you quickly about the, the 12 spies that went into the promised land. 10 of the 12 spies came back from the promised land, and they said to Moses and to the entire nation of Israel, they said, there are giants, Nephilim, in the land. And we look like grasshoppers in our eyes. And in theirs. No, no, wait a minute. You are a spy. If you are a spy, then the giant didn't even know you were there. So how do you know what they're saying about you? How do you know how they perceive you? How do you know what they're really thinking about you? Why? Because they labeled themselves as grasshoppers. But the label was a lie. I need somebody to hear me today. Besides my conversations with God, the most important person I will talk to is myself. Okay? In fact, the, 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 the most important person that will talk to me is me. I'm not trying to disparage Pastor Olga or Pastor Beto. I thank God for their lives, but listen to me. The most important person that looks in the mirror and tells me what's what is me. The most important person besides God that will tell you who you really are is when you look in the mirror and start talking to yourself because nobody talks to you more than you talk to you. So maybe the problem isn't that the giants are so big. Maybe, just maybe, the problem is your self-perception is just too small. The lie is that you've been labeled and you believe the label. Therefore, you believe the lie. But Jesus shows us what to do in Matthew 14, or Matthew 4. He actually models this for us. He says, look, here's what you need to do. Because when I look at the nation of Israel, 10, 10 out of 12 had a grasshopper point of view. I see myself only as, as minor and minute and insignificant. Only two people pushed back. Only two. Only two people said, we can take what God has already given us. It's ours. We can take it. Ten say, we're grasshoppers. Two say, we can defeat giants. Let, let, me, let me say like this. Pastor Petrus, I was studying this, this square off between Satan and Jesus. I, I actually couldn't help but think of, of the champion, Abdiel Torres. Yeah. Abdiel, Abdiel in the house? Is he, is, is he feeling better this week? Abdiel in the house? Is he in here right now? Is, there he is. Abdiel, stand up, champ. Stand up real quick, champ. Stand up. That's right. Show them. Show them, champ. Uh, I was asking Abdiel last week about the, I think it's Logan Paul, right? Logan Paul had a fight. Okay. Well, I, I guess if you want to call it. Yeah. Because when I looked at the stats, he, th he landed 108 punches. His opponent only landed 16. Okay, Abdul, I got a question for you. Correct me if I'm wrong. But if the opponent keeps hitting you, what are your chances of winning if you don't hit back? Yeah, not very good. 
slim to none, unless you slip and hit yourself in the jaw and can knock yourself out, more than likely, if you just stand there and keep taking the beating, the enemy's going to win the victory. Uh, I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. Uh, Tiana, give, give them that video real quick. This is for uh, Reverend Karina because she hates spiders. But this is, what you, this is what I saw her do when a spider showed up one time. I saw, I saw Reverend Karina do this, y'all. I'm not kidding. I'm, come on, somebody. Come on. Well, what's... <laughs> what, what, is my, what is my point here? I'm trying to tell you, when the enemy starts throwing blows in your direction, don't sit there and take it. Come on, somebody. If you want to lose the fight, then just sit there and let the enemy pound on you. But you've got to realize God has placed something inside of you that is meant to win. The reason he gives you weapons of your warfare is because God intends for you to win. So if Satan starts throwing punches, you've got to learn how to hit back. You've got to learn how to fight back. And this is what Jesus models for us. Because literally every time Satan throws something in Jesus' direction, Jesus shows us what to do. I don't hit back. I had to, t I had to tell, uh, I can't remember what I told you the other day, but I, I love this song I, I heard the other day. Uh, I heard it a couple years ago. The song simply says, try Jesus. Don't try me. Because I throw hands. Come on, somebody. Okay. <laughs> But Jesus shows us, if I'm going to beat an invisible enemy, these hands are useless. These hands are pointless. But I still need to learn how to hit back. So Jesus shows us, you've got a weapon at your disposal, and it needs to stop sitting on some shelf somewhere in your house, lost in your trunk. Jesus says, if you want to hit back, use the sword of the Spirit. This is how you hit back against the lies of the enemy. So I just came to tell somebody today who's been losing your joy, you've been losing your peace, you've been losing your sleep, you've been losing your faith, you've been losing your righteousness, you've been losing your purpose. This is your hit back season. This is the season where you begin to pick up this book and stop letting the enemy beat you down with fear and failure. Stop letting Satan beat you down with depression and deception. Somebody shout today, I'm about to hit back. Ooh. You take a swing at me, and I'll turn the other cheek. And then I'll be ready for the next punch. Come on, somebody. But the enemy starts swinging. Oh, I'm not giving him any of my four cheeks. Hello, somebody. I'm going to hit back. All right, I'm sorry. I'm feeling like a youth pastor today. Hello, Jesus. <laughs> Well, thank you for those who agree, amen. <laughs> he uses lies to label us. To label us. Here's the second thing I want to tell you that the enemy does. Satan uses lies to limit us. Just by a quick show of hands, just wave your hand at me. Wave your hand at me if you know that you were born with a God-given purpose. Whether you believe it or not, but I know it's there. I know it. I know it. So the whole reason for your existence, and I've told you this before, is to solve a problem. There's some problem that you were born to solve. So if your purpose solves a problem, then it only makes sense that that problem is something that Satan doesn't want you to solve. So he will lie to you to limit you. And, and let me also just say this real quick. To those of you who are always causing problems, the reason you're causing problems is because you don't yet know that you were born to solve a problem, not be a problem. Thank you. I really got to keep going. Okay, think about it like the, 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 the reason that a young shepherd boy by the name of David gets so agitated with a giant named Goliath is because David was born to deal with the giant problem that Israel had. There were grown men, warriors, that cowered when Goliath showed up. But when Goliath showed up and David was around, David wasn't fearful. David was angry. And David said, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine, if you have no idea what I'm saying, look it up. How dare this uncircumcised Philistine come against the armies of, of the Lord? 
And he got agitated. And he realized somebody's got to do something about this. Can I simply tell you today that sometimes your agitation is actually a revelation. This is my area of assignments. This is what I was born to do. And so that's why, you know, that, that, that thing that irks you, right? That, that, that thing that, that, that compels you, that thing that keeps you up at night, that, that, that thing that you say, I wish somebody would do something about this. I need you to know that God created you to deal with that thing. God created you, called you, anointed you, appointed you, commissioned you, put that anointing on your life to deal with the thing you've been agitated about. Why won't the pastor do something about it? Because I'm not anointed to deal with it. I'm anointed to deal with you. So you can go and do it, deal with what you were anointed to deal with. I don't know how many people come to me all the time. Pastor, we should start this ministry and that ministry. I've already got a ministry. I'll pray for you and I'll support you. But God has placed it within you. If it's your agitation, then it's your area of assignment. Amen. Thank you. At least I got a baby saying amen. Thank you, Lord. Agitated back there. Somebody need to help him out. Or her out. Sorry. I don't know who's crying. Here's what I said all this. What the enemy's been trying to do since your birth is limit you. So that you will never do what you were born to do. Because the Bible tells us that God actually gives us natural abilities. God, God gives us spiritual gifts. And those abilities and gifts are necessary for us to accomplish his assignment on our life. But what the Bible also says is this, and I love this passage, though. God's giftings and callings are without repentance. That means they are irrevocable. That means when God gives it, Satan can't ungive it. Somebody, you better hear me today. Satan can't ungift you what God has gifted you with. So since he can't ungift you, he tries to limit you. So he'll say stuff like this, God maybe didn't give you as many gifts as he gave to Pastor Beto. And then what you'll do is you'll start to believe the lie and you'll sit dormant, gifts sitting in your spirit that you are completely unaware of. Or, or if he can't get you to believe you don't have a gift, because you know you do, what he'll do is he'll tell you something like this, you still have time. To serve God with your gift. And then you look in the mirror one day and you're 42 years old and you're just like, oh crap. I'm not sure how much time I got left. But he'll limit you. Because what he'll do is he'll make you become complacent. And then what you do is you underuse. You're not, you're not unaware, but you will underuse the gift he's given you. Is it okay if I just take just like 10 seconds right now and just come against that mediocrity that complacency. Can I, just, can I just prophesy against the comfort zone that you're stuck in today? Somebody who feels God is calling you out. Can you just throw up your hands right now? Now, Lord, I pray you'll give these people a holy discontentment in their spirits. Lord, I pray today that they will realize until Goliath has actually fallen, I have no reason or right or permission to be complacent. God, call us out of our mediocrity. Call us out of our complacency. Call us out of our lukewarm states. Let us do what we're here to do. Amen. But he's used a lie to limit you. Here's the last thing I want to tell you. Satan will use lies ultimately to lure you. I got to be careful how I say this. Are there, are there any people who fish in the house? Okay. All right. Because if I would have said, are there any fishers in the house, Jordan might have raised his hand, right? Because his last name's Fisher, right? So yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah, see, so yeah, so I, that wouldn't have worked, right? unless you, unless you fish. Jordan, do you fish? Okay, okay all, right, all right, so he's both, he both fishes and he's a fisher. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. All right. To those who fish, you understand how this works. You can't stand on the shore and pray for the fish to jump in the boat, right? Or, or you have to get, a, you have to get something that's going to lure, something that, that is bait, that will attract what you're trying to draw in. Uh, I'm hungry. I can't just sit here and hope the fish is going to jump in my mouth. I mean, if it ever happens, I, I hope you get a video, but, 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 but the truth of the matter is that you understand I, I, I need to lure what, what I'm ultimately trying to possess. 
what Satan is doing is he uses lies to lure us. Because you've heard me say this so many times before. His power is in his persuasion. Yeah, yeah. So what he does is he'll throw out a lie. And then I'll start dangling that lie. And then I'll start luring us in. And once we take bite of the lie, and he's able to reel you in. Now what happens, ladies and gentlemen, is what we call self-sabotaging behavior. Ah, yeah. Because at least I, I see what Jesus shows me. Satan can't overpower me. He can only persuade me. Next week, I'll touch on, on, the, on this portion of it, but when Satan leads Jesus to the, the, the top of the, uh, or when he leads us to the top of the temple, he tries to tell Jesus to jump. What Satan can't do is he can't push Jesus. He can only persuade Jesus. So stop, stop saying the next time you actually do something stupid, the devil made me do it. He didn't push you. He persuaded you and lured you. You took the bite. He reeled you in. So what he has to do, though, is he has to, what he has to do is he has to find that weakness within us. That vice within us, that area of emptiness within us. And then he'll throw the lie towards that area of weakness. And when the weakness takes a bite, now he's got you. And he reels you in with self sabotaging behavior. And now you're kicking and fighting, but you don't even realize you've been hooked. And he's pulling you in. I want to give you this, this last illustration, if I can. In the New Testament, we have. One of Jesus' boys. He's got 12 of them that are always with him everywhere he goes. And, and, and I mean, his boys were, I mean, they're, they're boys. They, I mean, they, you know, sometimes they threw temper tantrums. Sometimes they were swearing. Sometimes they were cutting people's ears off. Some, you know, sometimes they were wanting to call down, you know, uh, angels and fire from heaven. And, and, and you know, and they were always, you know, at odds with each other about who's the greatest and, and, and who's more important and who's going to have the best seat in heaven. And there's boys. But he had this one disciple named Judas. And notice no one names their child Judas anymore. I better be careful because maybe someone did. I mean, you, just, you just had no idea. Okay, hallelujah. Right. It's okay. You can legally change your name. Hello, somebody. Amen. All right. but, but what happens with, with Judas is Satan finds his area of weakness. And he casts the lure. And says, I can't push Judas. I'm going to persuade Judas. Because what we find out in Scripture is Judas' area of weakness was his greed. I mean, clearly Jesus had so much money that Judas was pocketing, because he, he was the treasurer, he was pocketing his share of what he thought he deserved, or what, he, what he, he was stealing from what was Jesus's, pocketing it, and no one even knew he was doing. I mean, I know Jesus knew, but notice that Jesus didn't even stop him. Which kind of leads to what I, I, I'm trying to tell you here, because Satan found his area of weakness, and Satan lured him. And what happened is now Judas betrays the best thing that ever happened to him. I mean, right? The Bible tells us that Satan is the one who put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. And what did, he, what did he get for betraying Jesus? Money. Satan found his weakness, greed, and he lured him in with his weakness. Come on, somebody. Don't act like at this stage in your life you don't know what your area of weakness is. Stop playing ignorant every time Satan throws the bait at your area of weakness. I, I didn't know it was going to happen. Yes, you did, because you've done it so many times before. It's your area of weakness, and he's trying to lure you in once again. And what happens is Satan puts it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, actually, what he does is he shows us the place that we can all get to. Anytime someone betrays us or is about to betray us, here's what Jesus shows us we can do. You can look at your betrayer and say, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. I'm about to preach this real quick because I got to get happy about this. Whatever you're going to do to me, do it 
quickly. Why would Jesus tell his betrayer, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly? Because when you are so secure in who you are and whose you are with the almighty God, then you can simply look at your betrayer and say, whatever you've got to do, go ahead and do it. Because whatever you've got to do can't stop what God is going to do in my life. So go ahead and crucify me and put me in the ground. Do it quickly. Because the sooner you do it, it's the sooner God is going to bring me back from the grave and resurrect me to new life. Say whatever you come to do, do it quickly. And I came to tell some people today, stop begging your Judas. Stop trying to convince your Judas. Stop trying to persuade your Judas and tell Satan, tell him now, devil, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Because God is about to take what the enemy meant for evil and he's going to turn it for my good. I need somebody to take 10 seconds, put your hands together and let the devil know, do it quickly. Do it quickly. Because God's about to flip it for my good. Stand your feet with me. Stand your feet with me. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to give you a different perspective on what you do the next time Satan comes at you. And here comes the here comes the problem, and here comes the pain, and here comes the, the situation. Here it comes. Good. Because the sooner you get this over with, the sooner I can see God come through, and God bring the healing, and God bring the salvation, and God will bring the blessing. I, 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 I got to give you these three things. I'm going to prove them and get you out of here. And I know some of you don't really care because Justin Fields ain't even playing today. So it don't even matter, Pastor. Keep me all day. Fighting off, hitting back, Abdil. Fighting back. Sometimes fighting back against the lies of the enemy can be discouraging. But it can also be empowering. Yes. And Jesus shows us this is how you hit back. Three things. Number one, don't only tell Satan he's a liar. Fight Satan's lies with God's truth. My whole message was, no cap, the devil is a liar. But don't just stop there telling Satan, Satan, you're a liar. Cool, all right? Yes, we know that. But that's not enough to convince him to back off. Okay. You have to fight his lies with someone else's truth. God's truth. The only truth. And what do we see in this showdown in the wilderness, in this fight happening out, out in the desert? What we see is Satan's throwing all these punches and he doesn't land a single one. He doesn't land a single punch. Every swing he takes at Jesus during that temptation, Jesus just counter swings. Satan comes with the lie. Jesus comes back with the truth. I'll say this some next week, hopefully. Satan comes with half of scripture. Don't you think the best lies aren't built on half-truths? He comes with half the word, and Jesus counters with the entire word. Whew. He fight back. So what I'm trying to tell you is whatever area you are being attacked in right now, if it's in your mind or it's in your marriage or it's in your money, you have to learn to hit back with the Bible verse. So if you don't know how to do this already, start memorizing the word of God. If you have a problem with memorization, then write it down and put it on the places you frequent, your fridge and your toilets. Come on, somebody. Put it there. So every time you go, oh yeah, I can fight back his lies with God's truth. Second thing I want to tell you is this. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Come on, pity party people. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Instead, just keep reminding yourself who's you are. There's a reason why when Satan came at Jesus, he didn't come with just a temptation. He came with this line. If you are really the son of God. Satan understands really that the most effective way to damage our relationship with the father is declare war on our identity. He's trying to hurt your relationship with the Father. So let me, let me confuse you about whose you really are. Yeah. Can I just remind you that 
Satan's name one time was Lucifer. And Lucifer refused to accept his God-given identity, his God-given place. He was, what the Bible tells us, he was the, the, the cherubim who covered. He created the atmosphere of heaven. The Bible actually explains that there were like horns built into Lucifer's body. So many scholars believe that Lucifer was Satan's, or Satan was heaven's worship leader when he was Lucifer, the, the morning star. He was the one that the, the sound of worship and praise emanated from, from within him. That was his design. That was his identity. He was heaven's worship leader. But he, he refused to accept his God-given identity. And instead, what did he try to do? He tried to form a new identity apart from the only one who can give us our identity. And he tried to rise up against God. And listen to me. He is trying to tempt you to do the same thing all the time. Find who you are apart from the one who gives you your identity. Go out there and figure it out yourself. Try different things. Uh, experiment. Find yourself. And that's exactly what Lucifer did. And look at him now. Because you have no identity outside of the one who gives you your identity. You'll never really know who you are. And here's what happened. Lucifer got kicked out of heaven because he tried to find his identity apart from the one who gives identity. Ladies and gentlemen, here today, when you know who you are, you'll stop feeling sorry for yourself. When you know who you are, you'll stop throwing those pity parties. When you, know, when you know who you are, you'll start living your life in such a way that says, I belong to a great God. And because I know who I am, I know how to live. I know how to think. I know how to respond. Ooh. Come on, wives. Every time your husband is acting up, it's because he's forgotten who he is or he's forgotten who you are. Hello, somebody. Come on. Yeah. Hello. That, amen. Amen. But when I know who I am, it dictates how I live and how I respond. We say this every, almost every Sunday when we say our creed. It comes from First, uh, first Peter chapter 2. It just simply says that you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's peculiar people. You're his, his special possession. But look at this. When you know who you are, all those things that God says we are, now you know how to live. I come out of darkness and I praise him because I get to live in his marvelous light. Yes, when you know who you are, you know how you live. And last thing is this. Last thing is this. When the enemy's throwing his lies at you, when he's doing everything he can to, to lure you and limit you and label you. Listen to me. Hear me. Number three, don't leave the church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mama Irving. I got one hand clap there. Thank you. Now the rest of you that are just trying to patronize me. Come on, somebody. Don't leave. I didn't say this church. I want to make sure it's capitalized. The church. It belongs to Jesus. So when, when we're getting tempted and, and when, we're, when we're hearing the lies and, and we're being labeled and we're being limited and, and we're being lured and, and then we start to throw these pity parties for ourselves, don't leave the church. Hear me. I know what 2020 did to many of us mentally and emotionally, and I surely know what it did to us spiritually. But Jesus wants us to know I am the head of this church. This church is my body. Don't leave the church. In fact, when I, when I get a chance to explain this more next week, it's crazy because where did that last temptation, I didn't even read it, but where did that last temptation of Christ take place? The very last blow that Satan threw at Jesus, it happened in church. In church, he takes him to the top of the temple. It says, jump. It's happening in church. And where did Jesus overcome Satan's greatest lie and deception? And then where did Jesus kick him out? In church. It was in church. He was like, get out of here, devil. Be gone. I, I pray you understand that for those of you who, who love animals, Wild animals understand they are more vulnerable to being attacked and possibly dying when they leave the herd. 
when they leave the pack, they're more susceptible to hunger, more susceptible to death when they're alone. Can I tell you who is never, never telling you to stay out of church? The head of the church, Jesus. And can I remind you who's always trying to tell you to stay home and roll over and you'll watch the rerun later on Facebook? And I, I, I thank you for watching for like 30 seconds. And then you, uh, come on, somebody. Don't act like we can't see the numbers. We got this massive amount of people watching the first 30 seconds of service. And then it drops off to like the 10 of you. Thank you that are loyal. I want to remind you that there are no perfect churches. And there are no perfect Christians. Can I say it again? Because if you've been led to believe that, then that's a lie. There are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect parishioners. There are no perfect Christians. But we still need the church with its imperfections. We still need fellow Christians with all of our shortcomings and imperfections. Because if you think you're better alone, then you don't even believe this word. Because this word says two are better than one. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So let me encourage you with this and I'm going to pray. The book of Hebrews, it tells us, don't forsake the assembling, the gathering together. Hebrews 10 tells us that. But in Hebrews 3, it says this. It says, let us encourage one another daily. As long as we call today, today. Every day, let's encourage one another. So that none of you, check this out. Why, why do I need to encourage my brothers and sisters? Why? Sister Nancy, I've got a, I've got a handful of people. That every week, no matter what, whether my message was like on 10, that was like, woo, that was amazing, Pastor. I'm gonna go back and listen to it, or whether it was just like, yeah. I got a handful of people that will either come see me after service, shoot me a text message, give me a phone call, and just let me know. You're awesome. Thank you. Wow. I needed that. And I'm like, you needed what? I don't okay, good. I, I thought it was terrible. They're like, no, it was amazing. Are you lying to me? Well, thank you either way. Because they realize while I'm up here doing the encouraging or the correcting, as long as it's called today, I need to encourage my brothers and sisters. Though I might be your pastor here, I'm your brother in Christ. So as long as it's called today, we need to keep encouraging each other. Why? Why? So that none of you will be deceived. Come on, somebody. No lie. No label. No limit. No luring. Nah, I will not be deceived by the devil.